This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to South Fellowship Church. We're glad you're here. If you're new with us, my name is Ryan Paulson. I'm the lead pastor here, um, and I have some uh, difficult family news to share. Um, this morning, right, right after our first service, uh, I was informed that Danny Cedar, um, who is, uh, I think, a member attender here, he and his family, three kids, um, he went to be with the Lord last night. Um, and so, um, we uh, were called as a body to walk with his family, um, his three kids. And so, we will be letting you know how we can do that um, and how we can do that well over the coming um, weeks and months. But, um, but please lift up the Cedar family. His wife's name is Shauna. And, um, and they are, as you can only imagine, uh, hurting very deeply right now. So, let's spend a moment and pray for them and then we'll, we'll jump into the word together. I'm King Jesus. We ask that in the midst of, of that pain, Lord, and loss, that you would meet us, that you would do what only you can do, that you would heal uh, places that are broken. Lord, we lift up Shauna. We lift up the kids to you. Oh, man. Help us know, Lord. Help us know how to walk with them well, uh, to be the body of Christ that we've been studying in this book of Acts, um, that we might surround them well, point them to Jesus well, that we might give to them well, over however long you would invite us to walk with them, we'd ask it be a long time. So, um, Lord, we, we lift them up to you, and we ask for your mercy, for your grace over that family, please. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 6. I'm going to invite you to open there. I've learned that being a father has, has taught me more than, than I ever thought it would. I, at the onset of becoming a parent, I didn't know I had that much to learn. Um, it's been a fairly humbling experience. And, it, and, and if you're a parent, and if you're not, you sort of, you see this in other arenas of life. But whenever I think I have a handle on it, my kids change. And I'm reminded that I know absolutely nothing. Um, just recently, uh, my youngest, Reed, he started sleeping through the night. Praise be to God, it only took him uh, 15 months. And after he started to do that, he quickly decided to be a great time for his four molars to come in. And so he's not sleeping through the night anymore. It's reminded me that in life, I think a lot of us, we expect that, that we'll grow, which is a great expectation, And we also expect that that growth will be consistent, that it will be steady, that as we look back over the course of our life, we'll we'll see whatever that starting point was, and and this may be growth in your relationship with Jesus, this may be growth in, in a marriage relationship that you're in, this may be growth as a parent or as an employee, but we think, at least I think, or thought, 
that growth happened in this sort of steady, consistent trajectory. But you know what? I think as we, as we step back from our lives a little bit, that this is horribly untrue. <laughs> I don't know anybody else that, that, that as you look at your life, there's, there's seasons of growth and then there's seasons of, of the valley where we're walking through it and we're trudging along and we're, we're doing our best, but it just doesn't seem like growth is a reality. And I think the truth is that growth looks a lot more like this in our life than it does consistent and steady plodding along. Now, one of the best areas you can see this is if you're married, you, you know that this is a reality in your marriage. In fact, they've done studies and, and the sort of the peak time for couples to get divorced is about seven years into marriage. Why? Well, because growth in your marriage is not a consistent thing. There's seasons of growth and there's seasons of need and want and lack. There's, this is true for any relationship you're in. This is true for um, uh, your career. This is true, especially you can see this in your relationship with the Lord. And see, here's what I know is that a lot of you, you come in this morning and you would say, Ryan, you know what? My trajectory of growth and my spiritual journey wouldn't even be this. It's probably, it's more like this. Like I've, I've just plateaued. And I don't know what to do or where to go or how to grow or, or better yet, I think I'm actually, I think I'm actually losing ground. And the reality is, is that none of us grow in a consistent, steady trajectory and that all of us, all of us, will you look up at me for just a moment, will encounter moments in our life, will encounter times in our life where we will have the decision, how do we respond when X, Y, or Z happens in our life? Will we be the type of people that respond in a way that allows us to continue to grow even though we may take a few steps back? Or will we respond and be the type of people where we really level out and if truth be told, we start to lose ground? I'm going to ask you to do something that's really difficult for us this morning. I'm going to ask you to, to do some internal analysis, to ask some, some difficult questions about, about where you're at and about how your soul is doing. See, because the reality is, is that growth doesn't take place in this consistent trajectory and it's, and it's a lot of ups and it's a lot of downs, but if we're not aware of that, it's oftentimes just plateaus and eventually dropping right off. And you see, my goal, my hope for this morning, my prayer for this morning, this whole week has been, Lord, would you help us? Would you give us a supernatural ability to see areas of our life where we're on a downward trajectory? And would you, by your grace and by your goodness, speak into it and not just reveal it to us, but come alongside us and by your grace and your mercy, Give us a little kick that we need to continue to grow and to become the people that you long for us to become. This is the journey that the early church is on in the book of Acts. 
it was not all just fun and games. It was all, not all just good. In fact, one of the things I love about the scriptures is that they tell us, they record for us some very raw stories about the early church so that we know there's no perfect church. No amens there. Um, let me say it again. There's no perfect church. Right, so if you're here for the first Sunday, maybe you think we are. Come back next Sunday. We'll remind you, there's no perfect church. Not even the first church. And we see these trends. We see the Holy Spirit descend and the church absolutely blow up in magnificent fashion. And then we see oppression start to take place from the outside where the ruling council says you will not speak the name of Jesus. And they hit this sort of low and they respond by saying, no, you decide for yourself whether it's right for you to obey you or God, but we'll continue to speak his name. We can't help it. Well, and then you have these other threats, these internal threats that we talked about a few weeks ago where Ananias and Sapphira, they, they come before the, the community and they lie about some property they've sold. And we talked about the internal threat of hypocrisy that's a reality in our lives as individuals and in our lives as a community together. We also made the point that the greatest threat to the church is not what laws are passed outside and what kind of persecution we receive from the outside, but the health of the soul inside. That's the biggest threat to the church and to us as individuals. Well, this morning we're going to do, we're going to sort of play that same game. We're going to read an account in the book of Acts, and it's going to tell us about how we are designed and invited to function together as a body of believers. But the reality is that what's true for the body is also true for us as individuals. And so I'm going to ask you to sort of have two lenses on this morning. One is for us corporately as a body together. And the second is for you as an individual to ask some difficult questions about how am I growing or am I or have I plateaued and you see the reason this is so important is because so many marriages blow up so many lives blow up and we drive off the cliff before we can ever just admit that there's an issue so what if before crisis happened we could detect that little dial on the proverbial dashboard of our life to say God maybe there's some things you want to address. I'm great at ignoring that check engine light in my car. Anybody else? So I just want to I want to pull that up for us this morning and we're going to use the word of God to speak into our lives. Acts chapter 6 is where we pick up the account Dr. Luke's account of the early church. And here's the way he records these events. It says, now in these days when the disciples, quick time out, this is the first time the word for disciple or the word disciple is used in the book of Acts. Ironic to note that Luke uses this word disciples to describe the early followers of Jesus before he uses the term Christians. He's going to use that a little bit later, but he uses this term first. It literally means apprentice or learner. So Luke's point is there's this group, there's this community, these followers of Christ who are learning what it looks like to live in the way of their resurrected Savior. To live with his power in their lives. To live with generosity 
as a way that they live, to, that love would be their prevailing ethic, their disciples, their learners, their apprentices, who've placed themselves under the risen Savior to say to him, teach us how to live. The disciples were increasing in number. And, and just a quick time out, disciples, disciples, not converts, disciples normally do. That's just for free. Disciples were increasing in number. And a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, cards on the table. This was a difficult passage as I studied it this week. Because normally what we like to do is say, all right, let's make a direct application. Well, any Hellenistic widows in the congregation... Right, right. So I didn't think so. Let me invite you into the context and then we'll, we'll, say, we'll ask the question, what does it mean for our lives? Um, the Hellenists were in between the, your two testaments, your Old Testament and your New Testament. You have about 400 years of history. One of the main things that happened in that intertestamental period was what we call the diaspora, where Jewish people were spread throughout the known world, primarily around the Mediterranean region. Well, if you were here at Pentecost for our study of Pentecost, which happens to be today in the church calendar, we remember that from all around the known world, Jewish people gathered to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. Well, many of these people came to know the Lord and they stayed in Jerusalem and so you have this early church where, where you have these Hellenists. They're, they're Jew by ethnicity, by race, but culturally, they're very Greek. They speak Greek. Their second language is probably Aramaic. And maybe if they're really educated, they might speak a little bit of Hebrew. Now, this creates a division of sorts in the early church. We see that there's different races, there's different cultures, there's different languages, there's different preferences, and they're trying to make this work as a community because they have this conviction, if we have Jesus in unity, we have enough. And they start to run into these problems. They struggle with the way that ideal plays out, and it's difficult, and it's hard, and they wrestle with it. This church is growing rapidly. And here's what they find. They find themselves at this crossroad. What are we going to do? Are we going to be the type of church that just sort of says, okay, we'll keep sort of plugging along the way things are. Or are we going to be the type of church that grows? You know what? I think the way that the early church answers this question determines whether or not you and I sit here this morning. The way the early church wrestles with, both on an internal level and on a corporate communal level, what do we do when things don't go the way we want it to? What do we do when the structures and the systems that got us to a certain place won't get us to the next? Because you know that, right? That, that the things you do may help you to grow to a certain point, but they may not help you to get to that next point. But the reality is, is that for you and I as followers of Jesus, following Jesus requires growth. Let me qualify that statement for a second. If we are going to be learners, disciples, apprentices of the risen Savior, this type of arc doesn't work. Because what it implies is we've stopped learning and we've stopped growing and if we've stopped learning and we've stopped growing, may I propose that maybe we've ceased to be disciples? 
So following Jesus, it requires growth for our joy, for your joy. You shouldn't hear that word and go, oh man. You should hear that word and go, thank you, Jesus, that you designed me for more. Requires growth and growth demands change. And that can be painful. Yes? Yes. See, health always leads to growth, which creates change which has the potential to create chaos. It's what started to happen in the early church. You have these, these Hellenistic uh, folks who are saying, our widows aren't being cared for. And this was a ethic. This was one of the values of the early church is that we collectively have enough. As individuals, we may not, but together we do. So everybody has enough. And they raise their hands and they say, well, I know that's the ideal, but it's really not the reality And they invite the apostles into this season of question, the season of pain, the season of seeing the reality, which can be difficult to see that, man, maybe things aren't going as well as we hoped they would. Do you know that some of those seasons of life, some of those really difficult seasons of life where you go, God, what are you doing and what are you up to and where are you? Some of those valleys can be some of the most fruitful in your life if we choose to respond in a way that has grace central. I love the way that Charles Dickens in his book, Great Expectations, writes this. It's a dialogue, but he says, suffering has been stronger than any other teaching And has taught me to understand what your heart used to be. I've been bent and broken, but I hope into better shape. It's true. One of the greatest teachers in our life can be these seasons where we start to go, Lord, what are you up to and what are you doing? But the thing that determines whether or not you and I will be people who grow over the course of our life is not whether or not we encounter valleys, but how we respond when we do. Because the reality of every single life in this room is that there will be valleys in your life. There will be times when people speak up and speak into your life and go, I'm not sure that that's the trajectory you want to be on. And the way we respond will determine if we're people that continue to grow or shrink back or plateau and eventually phase out. The reality is, is that the apostles responded in a way that shaped a community, not just for them, but for the course of this movement that we've been studying and that we are a part of today. There's a few things from this passage I want to draw to the surface and I want to point out, and they're central to you and I being people who over the course of our life grow, who don't just plateau and don't just fizzle out, but who grow. I want you to wrestle with that this morning. Are you the kind of person, are you growing? Are you changing or are you stuck? See, the story continued in the book of Acts. Verse two reads like this, two through six. It says, and the 12, they summoned the full number of disciples and said, so this is all, however many thousand are a part of this community now. 
and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, to, to, pr- to provide some oversight for the distribution of food. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, to ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. Now, what you just read was a miracle. Okay? Because it was an all-church meeting that everybody walked out of going, yes and amen. Okay, now I get it. The blind man sitting at the gate where Peter and John get, they, they, they're, sorry, the crippled man, and they take his hand and they say, walk. That's a miracle. May I propose to you this is a far greater miracle. Everybody's pleased. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Proturus, Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte, proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Now we read the story. And we say, you know what, that's a, that's a great story. And indeed, the apostles, they did a great work. But here's what they did. They entered into what was a painful situation. Because here's what they heard. They heard from people that they loved and people that they cared for. You're not getting the job done. You're not getting the job done. And so when they hear that, when they hear that, they have a number of responses. When you hear that, you have a number of responses that probably start to be evoked in your soul. If I'm an apostle, I go, um, hey, here's my, here's my iPhone. You want to look through it and see my calendar and tell me when in my calendar I had time to do what you wanted me to do. Right? Or, hey, if you're in this congregation because you've been healed because of our ministry, why don't you raise your hand? And a number of hands would have shot up. And see, my initial response is to start to get defensive when somebody points out, hey, here's sort of the trajectory of where you're going, and if you're not careful, it's not going to lead to the place that we want to land. But the apostles, in this beautiful show of humility, they show us what it looks like to be the type of people who continually over the course of our lives grow and change and become more like our Jesus that we long to love and serve. See, the type of people that continually grow over the course of their life are the type of people who are willing to embrace reality. And instead of coming up with a lot of excuses as to why they cannot do what everybody wants them to do, the apostles take a proverbial step back and they look at their community and they say, you're right. You're right. Reality can be hard to see. Reality can be hard to see and it can be easy to ignore, just like a little light on the dashboard that says check engine. For a long time, I had a picture of me and my wife over my check engine light. (laughs) Music up louder and louder as the car starts to sound like it might actually have an engine problem. (laughs) Philip Dick writes this. He says, reality is that which when you stop believing in it does not go away. The great president, Abraham Lincoln, he said, how many legs does a dog have if you call the tail a leg? Four. Calling a tail a leg does not make it a leg. 
And isn't it true that many of us, we would like to sort of rationalize or explain away the things in our life that are true, that are a reality, and we're so busy and we're so fast-paced that we can go years at this plateaued, pay, at this plateaued spot and never ask questions about why we're not growing. And I think one of the things that Jesus would invite us to this morning is to just take a pause from our life and to ask some hard questions, maybe about our marriage, maybe about our job, maybe about our relationships, to say, is this plateau more of a reality than growth? And if it is, my gut feeling, my guess is that you have people surrounding you who love you and have loved you enough to speak into your life and you may be conveniently ignoring them. I mean, how easy for the, is it for the apostles to go, who's that? I mean, who's that with their, with their hand raised? I mean, come on. We're the 12. Like, come on. We'll need to hear from you. But they don't. In humility, they enter in. And I wonder if people in your life have been trying to tell you something for a long time that you simply won't hear. And maybe not, but maybe you're not the type of person that invites that. We've talked about this before, but they call them blind spots because we're blind to them. And so sometimes it helps for people to say, hey, hey, there's this issue that I see going on that maybe you're not aware of. And if we're willing to embrace reality, I think it leads us on a trajectory where we continually grow, not consistently, but continually over the course of our life. The reality is, is that this requires grace. It requires grace because if your identity is built on anything other than Jesus, if somebody starts to point at it, if the apostle's identity is built on, hey, we care for every single person in our community, and somebody raises their hand and goes, no, you don't, their initial response is going to be to dismiss it. But if their foundation and their identity is grounded in the person and work of Jesus, then nothing that somebody says can shake that. You tracking with me? So this is the practical nature of what grace does in the human soul. It opens us up to be the type of people who say, we're secure enough in Jesus for you to speak into our lives. And invite us to grow. And invite us to change. Not just now. But as long as we have breath on this earth. In 1980, there were reports that Mount St. Helens was showing strange activity. It was getting ready to, to blow. And so the word went out in the communities that surrounded uh, that great mountain up in the Pacific Northwest, evac, evac, it's time, get out of there. And a number of people listened and heeded that call. But you see this explosion and in its wake, in the neighborhoods below, there's 57 people that said, we see the plumes of smoke. We hear the call, but we're unwilling to leave because we've seen it before. It's not going to happen. I wonder if we were to step back and maybe ask some difficult questions, what would be the plumes of smoke 
in our life right now? And, and do we need to wait? Do we need to wait for the cliff to come before we start to address them? See, the apostles, they have this sort of ingrained in the DNA of who they are. They know they're going to be a growing community. Therefore, they're going to be a changing community. So they're willing to address the reality. Maybe we don't have it all together in this season. Hey, really quick, just eyes for a second. Maybe you don't either. And that's okay. What's not okay is to just continue to do life as though it were, and eventually we get to a place we never wanted to be. You and I aren't sitting here if the apostles, the early apostles, don't deal with reality. Here's the second thing that they do. And you're looking at your watch going, are we going to get out of here on time? Maybe not, but we'll be close. We'll be close. Verse 2, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples instead. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So here's what they do. They see the problem. They see the reality. And they enter in and they engage it. Can we agree it's a lot easier, even once we see problems, if we're fortunate enough to see them, to continue to ignore them or rationalize them away? I'm not exactly what you'd call a Mr. Fix-It around the house. We've had a number of problems with the house since we moved in, just simple home ownership type issues. Our current one is that the element, the broil element on our oven doesn't work. I'm far better at dealing with or enduring problems than I am solving problems. So, hey, if we turn the oven up to 500, you better believe those chicken nuggets in 40 minutes will be thought out. They'll be eatable. We can do that. And we just simply, I, just simply endure rather than diving in and saying, all right, how do we fix this? See, my guess is that you have areas in your life where you function the same way. The apostles, here's what they do. They say, we may not be able to solve this together but coll- or alone, but collectively, together, we can. And they enter in, even though they may feel like you, unqualified or unable, like it's going to be too much work. Or maybe they're even scared of the conversation that they're going to need to have and the wake that lies behind it. It's far easier to ignore than to engage But here's how they enter in. And I just want you to write these down. We're going to fly through them. They enter into the problem. And as we do, I think our calling is to do the same thing. They enter into the problem. They engage the issues one and first by understanding their priorities. See, their comment. Is it right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables is not a put down to anyone or any role. It's a simple understanding of calling. This is what God has called them to. And if they shirk that calling to do something else, the community does not become what God intends for it to be. Now see, here's the reality for you and for me too, is that one of the reasons that we plateau out and we stop growing is that our priorities are off. The church does not become all that God intends it. The early church does not become all that God intends it to become if Peter, James, and John are delivering food. 
Now, it doesn't mean that nobody should. In fact, it's somebody's role, but it's not their role. They understand their priorities. Honest confession, honest confession. This passage has been horribly convicting to me. Because of the nature of of South and the businesses that we have and the type of building that we own and the tenants that occupy our space, I have a lot of opportunities to get distracted. And I've been reminded over the last week, I need to reprioritize the way I spend my time. Maybe you do too. Maybe some of the priorities, like, like the priority of being a follower of Jesus, who when Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Is that on your priority list? If you're married, is being a spouse, is that on your priority list? If you have kids, is that on your priority list? If you're an employer, where do, employee, where does that fit in? See, they understand their priorities, one. They understand and are committed to their values. I love that the foundation of this church, built on the early church, is that everybody matters. Every person that walks through this door, regardless of what we think they have to offer us, matter to God, and so they need to matter to us too. See, the people in, the, in this passage, these widows that didn't have a dime to their name, they needed food because without the church's provision, they were going to starve. The church said, they may not tithe, they might not put a dollar in the plate, they may not have a lot to offer as far as their ministry goes and the way that they would maybe think, and they say, they're worth it, we need to take care of them. Friends, that's, that's the part of community that we need to be. It's a value. Everybody is loved. Finally, they enter this issue. They enter this problem with this core conviction. And I, and I just have this sense from God that, that there's some here that need to hear this specific point today. So will you listen really, really clearly? They enter this issue, this problem, this, this dip in, in growth, and I don't mean numerically, I mean health in their own life, with this conviction, God has given us every resource we need in order to step into and solve and move forward from this issue. Do you believe that? Any issue you're facing in your life, what God would say to you is, you have enough. Now, maybe not just in you, the apostles did not have enough time, but what they had were people that were surrounding them. And so they invited those people to play. They had this conviction, there's no such thing as a sidelined Christian in the early church. So step in, step into the game. Peter was going to write later on in one of his letters to the churches, he's going to write this, his God's divine power has granted to us, um, read, granted to you. Regardless of what that situation is that you put your finger on this morning that maybe you think is insurmountable, that problem in your life that just has you plateaued or maybe losing ground. He says, his divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have everything you need. Through the knowledge of him who called you to his own glory and excellence. So, what areas do you sense God inviting you? And it is that, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. 
by his goodness and his grace, step in. Step in. And it's not too late. It's not too late. The marriage isn't too far gone. The kids aren't too far gone. The job isn't too terrible. Step in. Trust. You have everything you need. And the passage goes on, and we'll conclude here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. So this is, they have a good reputation, not only in the Christian community, the early church community, but also surrounding, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And we see finally, the people who over the course of their life They grow and they change. They not only see reality and they not only engage the issues that are realities in their life, but they also act and move forward in wisdom. They're not just people who talk about making some changes. They're people who step into it. And so friends, where might God invite you to do the same? The cycle is growth, and then growing pains, and then the potential to make a decision, either get stuck and remain or change and proceed. And here's the way the story concludes. And the word of God continued to increase. Isn't it interesting that Dr. Luke sort of personifies the word of God and increase is in the passive form as if it's not the apostles doing this, but it's God. Continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Why? Why? Well, because we started the chapter off with an issue. We started the chapter off with a problem. We end the chapter with significant, great growth and expansion. Why? Because the apostles, they're willing to look at this. They're willing to see the reality of where their community is at and where they're at personally. They're willing to engage it and address it. And they're willing to move forward and act in wisdom. And a great many priests, it adds, became obedient to the faith. Can I tell you, I think far too many of us become content with living at that plateau. We're content just assuming that that's the way that life will always be. Can I say to you, I'm glad that the early church didn't just say, well, that's just the way life's always gonna be. They had this conviction that a better day was possible, a better tomorrow was possible. And if they were willing to see the reality of what was going on and step into it, God had given them everything they needed in order to continue to grow because that was his design and that's his desire for their joy and for his glory. It's his desire for your life too, friends. My hope and my prayer is that we would become horribly discontent with being stuck. And that we would follow Jesus in everything he invites us to walk with him in. Remaining stuck is not an option. It is. It is an option. But not one if we want our lives to count 
for the goodness and the glory of our Savior. Remaining stuck is not an option. Gospel growth is far too important for that. God's given you everything you need, and I pray, friend, that you would press into him his goodness, his glory, and his grace. Would you pray with me? This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.